Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. It's Thursday night. That means it's the game plan with the game plan. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, myself. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Game Plan Podcast. It's one of the bellwethers here at Inside Carolina. And when you have it, you can't do it without Greg Barnes. Jason Staples has been a mainstay on Inside Carolina's website for the last few weeks, breaking down some plays. But let's let's get Greg in here first. Greg, I I listened to Mac Brown's radio show and, and Jason's catching up on it and, and you listen to it. Has Mac Brown changed uh, at all? In, in your opinion here, he seems very much more um, – and he said he's going to enjoy the wins. By God, he's going to enjoy the wins. And it doesn't matter whether it's 63-61 or 7-3, he's going to enjoy it. I thought that that segment of that show was extremely enlightening to me at least. Yeah, for sure. And I think Mac has made a point that towards the end there at Texas, he was not having fun. He was upset uh, when they were winning by you know four touchdowns because it wasn't perfect, uh, and so that has been a focus. And if you listen to him last year, uh, he had a he, he had a hard time um, dealing with some of those games. And he said, you know, I, I was not in a situation where I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk to the media immediately after the game, but yet that was one of the things that that had to take place. Uh, but I do think it really is kind of a situation with Mac where he understands the game. And when I say the game, I mean the the PR part of it better than pretty much anybody. Um, And so when he's talking in that setting of his radio show, I think he fully understands he's talking to the casual fan. And I think the casual fan watching that game on Saturday was a little taken aback with how the defense played, but they were happy that Drake and the offense looked great. Yeah, but yeah, they got to get better, but they got to win. And I think that's the point that Max emphasizing. However, the diehards uh, know better, right? <laughs> keep up with the recruiting rankings. The diehards keep receipts. And when you, when you celebrate signing day victories, 
as you should, because we all know there's a direct correlation between the amount of talent you have and the potential success that you have. Um, but there's, there's been a number of years here in a row, three years in a row where you've got top 15 classes. And even four years ago, you had a top 30 class and the year before that was top 20. And that's why when you look at the 247 composite, Carolina was what, number 16 nationally in terms of talent? The diehards understand that. And the diehards were not happy with the defense last year because there was too much talent for that defense to play the way they did. So all we heard all offseason, Gene came in, accountability. You know, the guys are standing up straighter. They're paying attention to detail. They're doing all these things and saying all these things in the offseason that they're supposed to be saying. And yet, we all had some concerns in week one or week zero against Florida A&M. Like, well, okay, so it's a team they obviously should have beat handily. They did. Some question marks there defensively. And then we saw what happened at App. And I, I think when you consider the amount of talent on this North Carolina roster, that's quite possibly the worst defensive performance in school history. And certainly the worst close to a game that Carolina has ever had. Uh, so it doesn't add up. And so uh, you know, the diehards understand not it wasn't just a bad defensive performance. It was terrible. And Mac talked about it earlier this week. It was embarrassing for the players and coaches. And it should be. Uh, that's just not an acceptable performance. Um, and so he's saying all the right things to the, to the casual fans, saying, look, enjoy the win. We know we have to get better in certain areas. But celebrate it because you only play 12 games a year. You're only guaranteed 12 a year. And that makes perfect sense. I think we all understand that. But the fan base is ready for this program to take the next step. And you are not going to take the next step with the defense playing like it did in Boone on Saturday. Um, and I, One other thing, Tommy, Mac in that segment on his radio show Monday night really talked up the fact that, hey, the offense was without Josh Downs, who was one of the top five wide receivers in the country. It was without Antoine Green. Uh, had a running back banged up. And yet, they were fantastic, right? They played to their talent level and beyond, and the coaching staff did a heck of a job getting the guys schemed up to perform the way that they did. So props go there. On the flip side, though, it's not like there were a ton of guys out defensively. They had a lot of guys coming back. Uh, they needed to make strides from week zero to week one really didn't happen, and they really just fell apart there in the fourth quarter. Uh, so he, he's saying what he has to say, but I don't think there's any doubt about it behind the scenes. Uh, he, he's got to be on, on top of those guys in the defensive meeting saying, this has got to get better dramatically, drastically, and quickly. I agree with that. Jason, I watched your reviews this week, and um, – I thought in the fourth quarter, and we don't need to rehash it totally, but I thought I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry you had to watch those, Tommy. Well, they're, they're extremely enlightening. I'm <laughs> telling you, I enjoy them. That's the kind of stuff like the inside baseball stuff. You can post 24-7. I'd probably watch it. Get it 24-7. Uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, what I noted, the fourth quarter, those guys were gassed. I can't believe some of them played 100 snaps if you include um, special teams. That's another issue. It was brutally hot on that field and next to that field because I was down there. And so the fourth quarter, but you detailed stuff that happened on the first series of the game. 
and there were issues there. Max said there was a lot of things that could be fixed, the late hits, the holds, the, the, the pass interference that turned into a hold on the tip ball and those type things. Those can all be corrected. But my question to you in that long-winded way is, and I, and I asked Ross to ask it in the press conference this week, is how do you coach out some of the issues that some of these guys have? And can you do it in the season, like the bad habits? They get bad habits in practice and, and, and things like that. But at this point in the season, how do you uh, how do you coach those guys out of that now? Because <laughs> something's got to change, to Greg's point. Yeah, it's harder to do during season than not. But, I mean, one way is if you've got guys that are doing it right, you play them. And the bench is a great motivator. Problem is right now that there are spots where nobody's doing it right or not enough guys are doing it right to, you know, relegate other guys to the bench. So essentially, if the best guys are, all, are, are not consistent enough with it, then you're, you're kind of stuck. And at that point, you know, my so I, I think I've talked about this on this podcast before, but, you know, my strategy on some of this is, you know, I made liberal use of up downs and bear crawls over the years. And, you know, I, um, when I, when I had, uh, uh, the, the first game that I coached over at Durham, Jordan, I had some guys that had to learn, uh, certain accountability and, uh, and, uh, basically I had a different standard than they were used to previously in terms of what was acceptable. And I had, uh, and I kept track of loafs, low effort plays where as a wide receivers coach, there were guys that were on the backside. We're not blocking on plays. You know, you got to play, say, in uh, outside zone to the right, and the receivers to the left aren't really – they, they kind of come off the ball, and then they just stop and don't do anything. Well, in my, in my book, that's a, that's a loaf. So I'm grading the film and counting up all these loafs, and I'd warned them that there would be punishments if, you know, there were loafs. Well, they didn't realize they were going to get graded like that. And that first week, I had something like – 70 loafs that I counted. I'd have to go back and look at the, at the spreadsheet, but you know, I had one player with like 30 loafs and thing was every loaf wound up being 10 up downs. Is he dead? He's not dead, but it took him a while. <laughs> and you know how many that guy had that next week? I would have hoped zero. I can't remember if it was zero or one, but I think I had like six loaves as a unit the next week. And the week after that, it was like three. And, you know, my, my, basically it was one of those of these guys knew that there are certain things like, look, if you drop a ball, you know, sometimes you're going to drop a ball as a receiver. I mean, it's going to happen. If you're going to, you know, if you're doing something where you're playing with high effort, you're playing with the technique I ask for, and you're doing your assignment, I'm not going to punish you for that but missed assignments where it's a mental mistake and you just didn't focus and you didn't concentrate or you didn't learn in, during the week or, you know, just straight up bad technique or a loaf. Well, we're going to have a bear crawl. We're going to have, you know, you're going to bear crawl 40, uh, 40 yards for that, uh, for that missed assignment, two missed assignments. You're doing two bear crawls. That was my strategy. Um, it seemed to work for me. <laughs> in certain respects. So, you know, it's not perfect though. And there's, and there's limitations to it. And the other thing is you get it, you do it enough and, you know, guys don't learn quickly enough and you're going to break guys down. So there's a balance to it, but the main thing and, and sort of the way that I would go on that is 
the main the main lesson from this is it starts with accountability and and there being actual consequences to what to what guys are doing there has to be consequences if they can keep doing what they're doing and still play and still basically not have to deal with any consequences that are obvious from what from whatever lack of technique or, or you know fundamentals or missed assignments or whatever if they can keep doing that and still go out on the field and, and keep playing then that then nothing's going to change but if in practice a guy does the wrong thing and then all of a sudden the whole group has to do a bear crawl because that guy didn't take the right step yeah you're not going to learn as much that week you know you may want to do this in a bye week but Real quick, guys are going to start cleaning that up and making sure that they do it right every time. Uh, and, you know, I just think it has to start with with holding guys accountable that way. And I, I do like the kind of group punishment. You know, well, that defensive tackle didn't take the right didn't 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 take the uh, proper proper footwork. We've been coaching whole defense, bear crawled, goal line and back. Nope. I that, remember, that forces I remember. leadership, too, right? Oh yeah. At a a certain point, somebody's going to step up and start saying, dude, you got to get it straight. And guys are going to start coaching each other because they don't want to do another dang bear crawl. So this is the sort of thing that for me is, is what you do during spring and camp to get that square. But if you're in in the season and you're seeing certain things crop up, then you got to get certain things fixed or you're going to get beat. And if you don't fix them, or if you, if you do fix them and you're doing it that way, sometimes you're going to get beat in the process of trying to fix them, but you're at least going to get them fixed. So it's, it's not easy once you get to season. Yeah, you mentioned the balance and, and talking about that, I started to say, I remember the, the high school guys, they, they would make somebody shoot free throws at the end of practice and <laughs> he didn't run. It was the other guys that ran if he missed. So you learn real quick to focus and all that stuff. But to Greg, to the point of accountability, and this is a two-layered question, um, or, or a multi-layered question. Accountability is across the board, right? It's not just the players that, that need to be held accountable. And that was a question I wanted to see. People talk about um, asking the tough questions in the press conferences. We hear about player accountability. And I could just imagine Greg Barnes in a press conference this week saying, what about coach, coach accountability? How do, how do they deal with that? Um, because if you've got guys that are using poor technique and repeatedly and, and not doing their thing, then ultimately I think it's on the coaches. But Greg, how, how are the players held accountable when they're the same? I don't know how many played all 88 snaps on defense, but a bunch of them did. I know the entire back end did. Is that a situation where you think there's just a, a panic and you've got to figure out how to win and these are your best guys and I'm putting them out there? no matter what, because I don't have anything better. I mean, what's going on there, you think? I I don't understand, to be honest, Tommy, because the whole conversation last year, as the season went on, Mac kept saying, we have to play more guys. We have to <laughs> play more guys to give them experience. And the reason you want to play more guys is so that when the next year comes, Power Eccles has a wealth of snaps. So he doesn't just have to rely on raw talent to kind of get the job done. Um, and you know, Jay Bateman acknowledged that last year. It's like, yeah, you know, we, we understand we got to get more guys in. We want to, uh, it's got to be the right situation, all those things. So with that being a conversation point this off season, as well as accountability, I, I think a lot of us just kind of assumed that there would be more 
rotation. I mean, you're kind of limited at, at linebacker, of course, because uh, I mean, your your backups other than Ra Ra are, are two true freshmen. So I get that. Uh, but you got bodies on the back end. You certainly have bodies up front. And yeah, I mean, not only is it an accountability issue, it's if you're playing guys upwards of 100 snaps a game. I mean, good luck with those guys having legs late late in a game. Or um, late in the season. Br- yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And somebody brought up the fact, well, they're also retired because they were in the mountains. Well, guess what? That's on the coaching staff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the coaches have to know, hey, we're going up the mountain. Therefore, we've got to have more guys ready because they're going to be gassed late. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just uh, befuddled because you know, we know Gene Chizik's a good coach. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The guy's got two national titles, yep. uh, won a Royals Award. Charlton Warren comes highly recommended. Uh, Kirby Smart had a lot of good things to say about him. And so a lot of this just doesn't make sense. And so um, I'm sure Mac is frustrated. Mac's trying to figure it out. I'm sure Chizik's trying to figure it out. But they have to do this quick. You know, people have tried to kind of equate this to the basketball season. Basketball season is very long, a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And you have time to make up because all you got to do is get in the big dance, right? And there's 68 teams. And you just have to get hot at the right time. That's not how it works in, in football. Now, Carolina has benefited because they've been able to win these two games early. Uh, I mean, losing the App State game would have been incredibly detrimental. So you, you want to be able to coach from a winning sideline, which is what they've been able to do. Uh, but, yeah, they've got to get these guys held accountable. I mean, whatever method it takes, Jason laid out some there. Uh, you got to get more guys able to play because the worst thing that you can have is where the best players you have available are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because then you're really in a catch-22 of we got to try to win the game even though these guys aren't doing exactly what we want them to do. And that's just a situation no coach wants to be in. And when you have this kind of talent – uh, you shouldn't be in that situation. Cameron Kelly, Storm Duck, Giovanni Biggers, Tony Grimes, 88 snaps apiece. You couple in their uh, whatever special teams snaps they had. They were pushing 100. Cedric Gray, 88 snaps at linebacker. Cedric Gray was gassed terribly in that fourth quarter. And he's the one guy that played well in that game to my eye yeah. <laughs> on the defense. There are a couple guys that played well. Cedric was one of them. And, and, and just that, that – the, the discussion about depth and playing depth that we've heard for four years now, and it's still not happening and didn't happen. That is the biggest befuddlement. Your word, well, great. Here's where I'm going to, I'm going to play a little bit of the other side here. And that's having seen what we saw with fam, with the fam, you game. I can understand why they didn't play any of the young guys in the secondary. And in this game, because when they put them in, they got cooked. They got shelled. Right out the gate, yeah. So, I mean, I I get it. Like you, you rotate guys in the back end when the situation allows it, and when you feel comfortable, it's not going to lose you the game. Because you can rotate guys in the front end on the defensive line much more easily. Partly because if somebody misses something up there, it's bad. But you got two levels that can hopefully help compensate for that. If you got a corner or a safety that screws up, that's six. If you got a linebacker that screws up, that might be a misalignment. That might be, you know, the wrong check up front. 
miscommunication, that might be six too. So part of the problem, and it, so I'm, I'm a little bit less befuddled at this stage at the number of snaps. And I'm more concerned about the lack of depth. What that does, what that communicates to me is they don't have the guys that they can trust to rotate in there right now. Right. That they don't have a third safety or a fourth safety that they can trust. And you could see when they went dime, they had Will Hardy going on. And, you know, he he got immediately targeted. <laughs> I mean, uh, ASU identified him and went, oh, freshman, there's there's the guy. All right. So, I mean, and he's going to be a good player. Right. But he's second game. So, you know, if you get up and you get start getting comfortable and had they not fumbled the football when they did, if they'd gone down and scored there and stretched the lead to three scores, I bet you you'd have seen some guys getting rest. Hmm. And then they didn't. And all of a sudden you had the quick change score and now you're kind of up against it and you're trying to play the guys you trust. And it turns out it doesn't matter. I mean, they could have played all the freshmen and it would have been the same results. I mean, they got shelled either way. I mean, they, they didn't stop. They didn't stop anybody. But I guess that's, that's the point, right? But you feel like get... that. But, but as a coach, you don't know that's going to happen. You've got to go with the best oppor- the best chance to get stops there. So I get it from a coaching side. But that says, look, you got to get some guys ready to go on the back end who can who can give give some breathers here. Yeah. Here's the here's the thing. The, the additional part of that. Kind of a counter to your counter, Jason. <laughs> what did we talk this offseason about the genius of the schedule? Is that you had four non-conference games to start the year because what happened last year? They got embarrassed at Blacksburg just in terms of the whole hype scenario, not on, on the field necessarily. And it crushed their confidence. And the whole conversation was they need some non-conference games to get young guys caught up to speed to get everybody kind of understanding what they're supposed to be doing. So when ACC season comes around in October, they are ready to go. (laughs) And so now we're in a situation halfway through the non-conference slate, and we're like, I mean, these these guys who are starting playing 100 snaps a game. And that's – I am not a coach. Jason, maybe you can – you have a better perspective on this. Uh, I know Larry Fedora used to get heat for the whole, you know, putting Trubisky in on the third series every game. Just to get him in early, it's not a scenario. It's probably going to be second quarter early. It's not a scenario where it's going to make or break the game. It gives your guy snaps when it matters early in the game. I don't understand why more of these young guys are not playing in those scenarios just to get their feet wet so they can kind of understand what to expect so that when they're needed, it's not late in the fourth quarter and garbage time. Is that an opportunity maybe in October against Virginia Tech where they can actually go in and contribute? I just don't feel like we've really seen that in the last couple of years. Now, that's where I, I, really, I really agree with you because especially, look, if you're going to play cover two man under, which is about the safest coverage you can, ask, you, you can play, which is basically like, okay, corner, Play inside leverage. Don't let him cross your face and play real tight and just, you know, try to get your hands on him and don't let him get open. Just follow that guy and don't let him get, I mean, that's, that's like backyard stuff with, with, you know, inside leverage. And then if you're safety, okay, safety, you play over the top on this half of the field 
and don't let anything over the, over your head. Uh, I mean, if that's what, if that's what the coverage you're going to call, if you can't get your corner to execute that coverage, if you can't trust him to have proper leverage, you got bigger problems. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, if, if you're in that situation where you're like, ah, oh, no, we can't play, you know, our, our freshman corners on the third or fourth drive, because I, I just don't know if we can trust them to, you know, make the, make the proper, to play this properly. It's like, dude, you just called cover two man under three times on this third series. At a certain point, that guy's got to be able to play that coverage. And you got to start getting him some reps. And if he can't play that coverage, he's got a safety behind him. Mix and match a little bit where you got your veteran safety in front of a, or behind, behind the, uh, the, the, the freshman corner. And then if you're going to play the, the, you know, younger safety, you have the veteran corners on the field. That's in some of those cases. So I do think that's what you have to do earlier in the game. And yeah, maybe you do stick to the simplest coverages you got, but to my eye, they've been basically doing that anyway. So, you know, yeah, I think, I think you do have to reevaluate, especially early game substitutions on the back end or substitution patterns on the back end. Cause what it seems to me, what seems to me that they're looking for is okay. When we get up by three scores with this amount to play, then we'll start subbing the young guys on the back end. Well, what happens if you never get to that? Play a hundred snaps. Right. So now I will say, look, app is, was borderline a conference game in terms of, you know, they're pretty good, pretty good team. It's a road game. We all knew that was going to be a, a, a challenge and they did play a, a lot of young guys against, against FAMU. Now with mixed success, they did play a lot of young guys against FAMU though. Georgia state, you got to be able to play those young guys. I mean, you, you should be seeing instead of 88 snaps from somebody like Cedric gray, you should be seeing, or, or, uh, you know, both of the veteran corners, you should be seeing more like 45 or 50, you know, something like that would be, would be good in this game and then start distributing those against, uh, to, to some of those other guys. So that's what you hope for in the next non-conference game. But yeah, I agree. I think, I think they've got to, they've got to find ways to develop more depth strategically using key early game uh, substitution patterns. And especially, you know, if you kick off and they've been scoring so many points, they're kicking off a bunch. So teams are getting the ball on their 20, 25 yard line. Start drives with your, with your freshmen start drives, you know, second, third, fifth drive of the game, you know, before you're really into that crunch time. I mean, every drive matters in football, but, start you know start when they're in bad field position you know get get your guys a few snaps in those cases and i think that can go a long way i agree there i I think it's paramount that they do it this weekend but who knows i mean clearly you don't want to sacrifice that app game for some guys to get some experience um we'll see how that turns out but going into georgia state let's look at this defense and somebody said um craving some positive talk we'll get there we're getting there. We, this is positivity pod to steal Mike Ingersoll's thing, but it's just on the back end. Uh, Greg, uh, defense against Georgia State, it, when we heard running quarterback over the past, well, you said decade in your article, when there was a quarterback that had some legs, um, that was a, a, a fear washed over the Carolina fan base. And here we are. Georgia State's going to run the football. They've got a, a quarterback that – 
seemingly can't throw it. Uh, we'll see. Seven for no, 29. No, no, we'll find out if he can't throw it this week. <laughs> that's for sure. He's going to turn into like Lamar Jackson, Louisville. But, uh, Greg, how does how does Gene Chizik approach this one, notwithstanding the, the substitutions and the playing more guys and all, but how does he talk his guys up after what we saw at App? The, the fundamental stuff is a pro, it worries me. The penalties and stuff seems to be correctable. Um, if you're Gene Chizik, what are you doing going into this one? I think you have to be more aggressive. And um, I understand who Gene Chizik is. I understand what he wants to do. And that is going to be who he is against Notre Dame and the ACC slate. I get it. That's, that's just what he wants to do. For this game, though, where you know that Georgia State uh, is not as good as App State, although they're not far off, uh, it's a non-conference game. It's a game where you need to build confidence in your guys. You need to be a little bit more aggressive in what you're trying to do because you have to be able to stop the run because Georgia State, like App State, returns four starters on the offensive line, both their quarterback or both their running backs from last year. Uh, they've got Darren Granger, who's the, the running quarterback you talk about. They very Sean Elliott would love nothing more, like we talked about last week, love nothing more than to take four or five yards every down, drain the clock, make Carolina try to win the game late. I don't think Carolina can do that. It didn't work last week. And I just think this defense needs some, some positivity. And I think they need to, to have some confidence. They need to have success to build that confidence. And I think the way you do that is, and I'm not talking about drastic schematic changes. I'm just talking about make it more of an emphasis to stop the run um, and make them have to beat you with their arm. And for everything we just talked about with the secondary, right? But if Granger's <laughs> going to beat you with his arm, everybody else is going to tear you apart anyway. So, I mean, wh why not try it out here? I mean, th this is the opportunity. This is probably the worst quarterback remaining in terms of throwing the ball left on the schedule. Uh, and, and so take that approach and, and try to get some early wins because we know what the offense is going to do. We can talk about that in a little bit, Tommy. But have some success. Be more aggressive, stop the run, and really force them to, to beat you passing the ball. Jason, I want to throw up Hill Eagles' comment. And, and this is a question I heard a lot, and I've heard a lot. Why would a DC play soft cover twos in the RPO era? It's beyond comprehension. What, what I, my question, my version of that is 99% of the quarterbacks that you'll see in college struggle when you get pressure on them. Why would you not? do uh, Chizik is what he is like Greg said but why would you not put more pressure on a quarterback if it were possible why would you not even try well it's not that Chizik is not trying to pressure the quarterback I, I don't think that's exactly the right way to think about this it's not one of those situations where you know he's got a binary choice and it's like well, should I pressure him or should I not pressure him? I'd rather have him just just stand back there for four or five seconds and get a chance to survey the field. I think that's more. I think that's more fair, and we'll 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 try to defend that way. I don't think that's what what's going on here. I think the issue here is that Chiswick wants to get pressure with his front four. He really believes in that. He's going to try to turn those guys loose and get pressure with those guys. Now, the problem comes in 
when that doesn't work <laughs> to create pressure, when you're getting situations where you, where you bring the four rushers and they're not getting home, that's when generally coaches start to start to blitz. Even the more conservative coaches, that's where you start to send more guys. Now, Chiswick is more resistant to doing that than most coaches because he, he just, he thinks that once you do that, you're going to give up the, you're going to give up too many plays downfield generally. And then you're going to have, you know, you're going to have basically the in, in games, generally the team with more big plays is going to win. So you're going to try to do what you can to avoid giving up those big plays. And you're willing to give up maybe a little bit of extra pressure in order to make sure that you're making tackles and forcing teams to execute, even if that means a little bit less pressure. But again, the, the aim is to play guys that are going to get pressure on the quarterback with four. Now, the real problem, and, and I, I see a, an observation on, in, the, in the chat saying rushing four is not being aggressive. Well, that depends on how you rush the four. You can rush four and be real aggressive with those four. N- nobody tell that, n- that 1996 Florida State defense that rushing four ain't aggressive. They played robber cover one with four guys. It was jet robber, jet robber. They called that about 90% of the time that year. But when you have Peter Bulware, Renard Wilson, Andre Wadsworth, and that group up front, yeah, you just basically tell them, get, get to the quarterback, and they play really aggressive. When you have 2009 or 2010 North Carolina, and you got Marvin Austin, you've got, you know, the defensive ends that they had. That, I mean, they had some ridiculous talent on that on that uh, defensive line you got greg ellis in there uh in in the past you know going back to max max time when you're letting guys like that loose yeah that's aggressive when you just turn the front four loose that can be more aggressive than blitzing depending on what you're doing with the with the guys in terms of gap discipline if you're just telling them get into that gap and go that's aggressive the problem though is right now what we're seeing from the front four is they're being they're they're being asked to rush, but I'm not seeing the penetration or the aggressive aggressiveness into the gaps that I would expect. So I think it's it it looks and often it often uh, oftentimes right now looks like it's the it's the worst case scenario where you're you're rushing four, which you know that's a standard number, but you're doing it without the aggressiveness of just telling those guys to hit that gap hard and then seeing them with proper technique, with low pad level, just doing their dead level best to get into the backfield. We're just not seeing that. So then you wind up with just no pressure and that ain't good. And, you know, for a, de- for a defense that's trying to avoid giving up big plays, they sure gave up a bunch on Saturday. So, if you're going to give up a bunch of big plays like that, then for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the headset saying, Gene, man, I know you, I know you don't like bringing pressure. And I, I, I know you believe in staying in this cover two shell to avoid getting shelled, but we just gave up two, three play touchdown drives. Let's bring six the next time. Let's, let's, let's go into robber. Let's go into, you know, some fire zone stuff. Let's, let's do something to bring some extra pressure because what we're doing right now is not working. We're getting guys beat anyway. And if we're going to get beat that way, we might as well hit their quarterback. So 
I'm with you on this in, in many respects, but I do understand the, the, the ideas that they're trying to do. It's just not going to work until they start getting the defensive line to do what they, what they're supposed to do. And they thought coming into the year, this defensive line was going to, I mean, Greg, you heard this, the defensive line is going to be strength, right? This right. is what they knew coming into the year. The one thing that we all knew coming into the year, allegedly, was that this defensive line with the with the players finally getting mature and they have the five-star and four-star talent that's finally getting there, this defensive line was going to be the strength of the defense. Well, I haven't seen that yet. And they've been calling games as though it was going to be the strength of the defense or as though it is, and it hasn't been. So now they got to figure out what what to do about that. Yeah, and one of uh, – I believe it was Ross. Uh, one of his sources told him early in camp when Ray Vahasek had missed some time uh, that, yeah, Ray's good, but you know, given the amount of talent along the front, I don't know that they really need him. Uh, <laughs> after two games, we, I think we know the answer to that. But, uh, Tommy, to, to Jason's point, App State hit on an explosive play – 27.5% of their snaps. And they had, and, and Slagle posted it, and I, we talked about it earlier in the week. I think Carolina brought an extra man four times and didn't get home once. And to your point, 27. So one out of four plays was explosive for App State, and it showed. Yeah. Um, and just imagine when that's going to be other teams that Carolina faces. Anything positive on the defense, Jason? Des Evans' effort came in. Des Evans' effort. Des Evans played played one of the better games I think he's played, and especially early in the game, he he looked he looked better. And and some technique stuff I thought was looked better from him. Uh, effort was good. Ritzy, Ritzy, you know, or not Ritzy, but uh, 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 you mentioned uh, Rucker. Rucker. Rucker is always yeah, that's a dude. I, I you know he's always going to play well. Uh, Vohasic is a guy that at this point you can trust. He's he's by, he's been by far the best defensive tackle so far. Uh, so you know you got three guys up front, and Murphy's been okay at different points, but you got basically three, four guys that you you know that have played reasonably okay up front, not well enough, but okay. And I thought Gray played well. Um, beyond that, I don't. I mean. It's it's hard to take a lot of good things from from this game. I mean, I, you just you keep looking at it and you go, they gave up three hundred and what was it three hundred and twenty eight yards and forty points in the fourth quarter. There's not much positive you can take from that defensively. Offensively, yeah, you got to feel, be feeling yourself pretty good at this point. And you know it's going to be a tough week just to tell just to convince the offense they're not the best offense in the country and try to get them to keep working. I mean, that's you, you're going to have to really coach those guys hard because they all, they looked real good. But defensively, there's not a whole lot that you can hang your hat on. You're, you, you're looking out there, and you're not seeing the performance that you're expecting. Yep, let's talk about that offense. But after the break, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of this podcast and great friends of Inside Carolina. 10% Ooh. off your order. Get anything you need. I think I saw, and I don't know if they're going to be in local stores, but the custom Carolina football jerseys are out. Um, you can get whoever you want, whatever name you want with the the real name and all that good stuff. Uh, Johnny T-shirt has everything. If they don't have those, they'll be getting them at some point, I'm sure, but they have everything else. Uh, women's soccer, they're on TV right now playing Duke. Last I checked, they were winning. They've got plenty of soccer gear. 
and they've got plenty of tailgate gear, home gate gear, anything you need. Go see them on East Franklin Street, and then if you can't get there, go see them on online at johnnytshirt.com. Take a short break, let the national guys pay the bills about quarter to ten, a little bit later than I thought we'd be at the break, but quarter to ten on a Thursday night is the Game Plan Pod. All right, we're back. Game plan pod. Greg Barnes, I'm going to come to you first. You watch Sam Howe up close. Um, you've covered uh, Bryn Renner and TJ Yates and all that. Uh, is this Drake May? Is this just a, you know, is this just a flash in the pan thing? <laughs> is he this good? I mean, he looked really, really good. I still, my favorite throw of the day, uh, Saturday was when he's rolling to his left, he gets his shoulders open, and he throws a dime to J, uh, to J.J. Jones that scores. I mean, that's just a money, money throw on their first drive there. How can this guy get any better? What, what, what has to happen for that? Well, if you just look at his numbers in terms of – and this is to your point, Tommy, earlier. Uh, if you look at his numbers against pressure versus not, right, when he's kept clean against heat – there's a pretty significant divide and it's not that he's playing horrible when he's getting pressure, but he comes back to earth. And we saw that with Sam Howe a lot earlier in his career. Uh, and you, with all these quarterbacks, as they get older and more experienced, that gap narrows. And that's the key for him, uh, especially at the next level. Um, I think really for him, it's going to be a matter of, of managing expectations and, and success uh, and trying not to force things. Um, and that's, that takes composure and maturity. And, uh, he's done really good with that. I, I think we saw with the FAMU game that he was willing to spread it around maybe more so than what Sam has done. Um, I also want to say that yes, Drake's had a great start, but think about Sam's start, South Carolina and Miami. A lot of harder competition. Mm, yeah. That's and the point. The fourth and long, uh, against Miami, they're late. I mean, that, that was epic. Um, and we know that one of Sam's issues was holding on to the ball too long. He was more of a gunslinger. And so with that came some success, but also was some pitfalls. Uh, so as we get into October, which is a legitimate defense, some of those, some of those weaknesses will kind of pop up. All right, I'm back. Some of those weaknesses will pop up uh, just because we haven't seen him against uh, kind of elite competition. But as the season goes along, we'll be able to nitpick a little bit more. Uh, but he's been fantastic. There's, there's no doubt about it. And look, I mean, we're going to bang on Jay Bateman and, and Gene Chizik. You got to give a hand to Phil Longo. I mean, I, I think we're very close to the point of saying this is the best offensive coordinator Carolina has ever had. Uh, he has just been. If it's phenomenal. not him, who is it? Yeah. I've, I don't think we're 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 near that point. I think we're we're way past, past that point. Yeah. yeah. So. What's interesting to me is everybody wants to fire the offensive coordinator every year. Doesn't matter. I mean, I agree with y'all. That, that, that discussion is over here. They, uh, Jason, as far as let's let's dig into Longo a little bit because I agree May's going to come back to earth a little bit. If he if he puts up four hundred and five touchdowns against Notre Dame and Carolina's in that game late, then <laughs> you know we're talking this this whole discussion changes. Um, but let's talk about Longo specifically, Jason. And to to Greg's point, the offense has got to make sure they don't get a big head. But Phil Longo 
has figured out uh, he's we talk about it as plug and play, but is it really? And his ability to put his guys in positions to make plays um, that they make. But what do you think of him um, as a play caller and as an offense designer here at Carolina? Well, I mean, the one thing that we've seen is that he has consistently put up numbers uh, beyond, you know, what you might expect at different points for some of the, some of the situations or talent that, that he's got. He's maximized his talent uh, in terms of overall numbers. And, you know, they, uh, similar to Fedora, when it's been a, a, a defense that is not, you know, more talented, that's not significantly better. They, they dominate. Uh, so I think that that's very clear and they've managed to, to win some games, uh, with some good, offensive play against teams that may be a little bit better as well. I mean, you go back to that South Carolina game, you know, uh, a few years ago, you go back to that Miami game immediately following that. Those were games where the offense played well against quality defense, uh, at least one quality defense in South Carolina. I mean, it's hard to say Miami has quality anything, but um, the, uh, they, they, he has found ways to, to manufacture, uh, or actually, I'll, I'll just say this. He's found ways to make it so so that it's such a system that you replace Sam Howell with somebody else and the beat goes on. You replace, uh, you know, Carter and Williams with a transfer running back and the beat goes on, you, you know, another thousand yards. And then, you know, and the, the running game hardly drops off. You replace that. Uh, that NFL NFL running back with a bunch of freshmen. And guess what? You're still rushing for 200 yards a game through two games. So at a certain level, he's found a way to maintain a level of consistency season to season that shows that you've got a very well-established and and well-oiled system. And one of the things that I most respect about him is that he's basically figured out like, this is what I, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. We're going to get really good at these things and we're not going to waste time with a bunch of stuff that overlaps with these things that does something that's real similar, but we could just get better at this other thing that does those things well and just do that. Um, and that's, I think one of the reasons why he has the success that he does is he recognizes what they have success with, what they coach well, and they do it. Uh, and he, I think he also has done a really good job of evaluating and landing quarterback talent. And that goes all the way back to, you know, pr- prior stops. He understands that like, this isn't going to happen unless you have a quarterback who can make the throws and the reads that I want in my offense. And he hasn't yet had to deal with a quarterback who can't do that. So, you know, I think that's a big factor as well. I mean, as, as much credit as you want to give the offensive coordinator, offensive coordinators only ever look as good as the quarterbacks they've got. And, you know, he's done a good job of recruiting and evaluating and landing excellent quarterbacks. Uh, so, and he develops relationships with those guys so that they want to play for him. So you give him credit for that and, you know, you move on. I will say the one real, you know, if you want to ding him a little bit, there have been a few cases where against teams with, against teams with enough talent up front and really physical defensive backs 
they've maybe underwhelmed at different points and they've they've not had quite the level of of success that that they've had against other you know relative to competition that they've had against other teams it's sort of again fedora had something similar at times where against the best defenses they maybe didn't quite perform as well as they did against you know relatively speaking as they, as they did against overmatched teams and i think there's something to that in terms of the type of scheme that they run and you can always you know criticize the the red zone performance but overall i mean the guy has been dynamite at that at, at, at an offensive at that offensive coordinator spot and there aren't many that would be better yeah there's somebody mentioned that red zone is a lot better this year what are they eight for eight this year in the red zone or something great yeah but, but again it's FAMU and app state so you got to grade on a curve on the red zone until they play teams that might be able to stop them in there yeah those two teams are no wofford greg the offensive line, speaking of the offensive line, uh, have they been good to your eye this year or, or they've just been decent? Um, is Drake May making everybody look better? And to Jason's point about Longo plugging and playing, I mean, Josh Downs goes out, Kobe Pacer, I didn't even recognize if he'd had number 11 on his jersey, I don't think anybody would have known the difference. But to the offensive line, um, how have they looked thus far? In your eyes, because it's going to ramp up here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, well, Pastor, the difference with him and Downs is that uh, Pastor caught, what, eight passes that were thrown at him, but only had, I think, 21 yards after catch. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the difference with Josh Downs. Uh, I think the offensive line has been good. Corey Gaynor is, is solid uh, in the middle, which I think kind of hurt the team last year because uh, Q and, and Brian Anderson were just banged up all year. And if you're not strong in the middle, then good luck, regardless of how talented you may be, uh, you know, on the edges. So they've been solid, um, but they also haven't been going up against, you know, massive defensive fronts either. And so it's another one of those situations. They've, they've been good enough. Uh, they're probably going to have to get better. And that's, that's kind of what you want here is that you know, they scored 63 points. And you can say, look, guys, got to get better here. We got to do this better here. Um, that's that's what you want is to have success, but know that hey, there's some areas where we still have to improve. So I don't think we can have an accurate gauge uh, until we get later into the season. Uh, but they've they've been solid enough, and uh, the fact that the, the running backs you've had so many of them have success that's a credit to the offensive line. Uh, Drake has had time, uh, but he's also done a better job getting rid of the ball. So to your point, that that makes the offensive line look better. Uh, but that's kind of what you want out of your quarterback. So I, I think they've been okay thus far. They've been solid uh, and just need to get better moving forward. Carolina, Georgia State, at Georgia State at noon from Turner Field or what is it called? Pac Life Stadium or something now down there. Uh, fascinating how they've evolved that building to where it is now. Jason, I'm going to get you first on the predictions. Carolina goes down there, um, continues their tour of the Sun Belt on the road, possible weather. I've seen rain, I've seen sloppy weather or whatever. They've got a turf field, so the footing at least shouldn't be an issue. But how's Carolina look? What's Carolina doing this? Does Carolina come out of this game and folks feel a lot better going into a bye week than they did coming down the mountain? Um, I think they will. Um, I think there's still going to be concerns coming out of this game, though. Uh, I don't think, though, that Georgia State has the the – the players or the matchups to be able to cause some of the same problems that they've seen. Uh, you know, you look at, again, 
the quarterback numbers against South Carolina. And I'll say this, if he throws for 250, 300 yards in this game, yeah, there's, there's a lot of concern. Some people but, don't need to make the trip back. Yeah, at that point, there's some serious. I mean, you 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 got to you got to do more some some soul searching within the program. Uh, but I, I think they'll be able to limit limit more there. They've seen this team before, uh, and they were a little bit shorthanded last year. But again, I think the the talent difference is pretty significant. Uh, it'll be I think it'll be a similar game in in a lot of respects to what you saw last year. But I think Carolina is going to score more up front to put this game away. I think a lot of people will feel better after this one. I'm not sure I will because I'm going to be looking at certain details. I don't care so much about the score. I want to see whether certain fundamentals are are being done right. Uh, but I think score-wise, it'll be a whole lot better. Uh, something closer to what you saw with with Fam, maybe a little worse. And um, you know, I, I'll go with say uh, North Carolina uh, 52, uh, Georgia State 20. Let me ask you this before I get Greg in on it. Tell us, give us a couple things that you can, that you'll be watching. So maybe some of our listeners and watchers can pay attention to those same things. Just give me, give me two or three short things you'll be paying attention to specifically. I want to look at the, the overall havoc that the front four creates and not just with the starters. I want to see across the board, regardless of who's on the field, I want to see the havoc created. I want to see penetration and, guys from that front four making plays in the backfield because Gene Chizik, he wants those guys to to cut loose and, and, and make plays. And we haven't really seen it yet. I want to see disruption from the front. And, and that's what I'm going to be looking for. And, and in that, I'm also going to be looking at their footwork and some of the fundamentals that are necessary to, to do that pad level, things like that. Uh, and then beyond that, I want to, I want to watch those corners. Are those corners playing good fundamental football to where, their technique is sound and they're not getting beat in situations that they shouldn't, you know, are they, are they letting guys across their leverage? Are they, are they handling their business on the corner? Those two spots really are the spots that I feel like they they've got to absolutely get resolved. If this defense is going to be anywhere close to what they hoped it would be coming into the season. And so those are the places I'm looking at coming into this game. Greg Barnes, what you think? Yeah. So a couple things here, I think it's important for, for people to understand that, North Carolina looked great, especially in the second half last year. Uh, but Georgia State really turned it around. I, mean, I think they started one and four, uh, and then closed the season with what seven and one, uh, and that includes beating um, Coastal at Coastal, which is a big deal. And uh, the one loss was at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, which was a top twenty-five team at the time. So they did a really good job uh, turning it around last season. Uh, beat Ball State 51-20 in the bowl game, returned 18 starters. Uh, and I think uh, I think this is a, a good matchup in terms of this is going to be a competitive opponent. And that's what North Carolina needs. I also, though, fully agree with Jason. Uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast over the years of football is such a game of matchups. And when you've got a guy like Sam Howe, and now you got a guy like Drake May, if if the other offense can't match you, uh, it's just a game of possessions. Because the more possessions North Carolina plays, the more likely they are to score more points than you. And that puts stress on your, your offense and your defense. 
This game last year was a perfect example. Georgia State had the ball in the third quarter down 24 to 10. That's competitive. Carolina scored on the next possession to go up 21. Georgia State, which is a running team, had to throw passes on 10 of their next 13 snaps. It did two, not work. Two three and outs, and they threw an interception on the next one. So this game went from 31 to 10 to completely out of control because of that pressure that the offense was putting on Georgia State. And I fully expect that's what's going to happen on Saturday. Uh, I think North Carolina needs to be able to get an early lead to really allow some of those young guys to play in the second half. Georgia State's good enough to get this game into the, the second half. And then you get into the situation that we saw at Boone where North Carolina's having to play their main guys just to make sure you know, things don't slip up if they're only up 14 or 17. And I think that's the, that's the key thing is uh, we didn't really see it against FAMU where they came out and smacked them early. That didn't happen. Uh, we thought they were almost there against App State going into the fourth quarter and then fell apart. So smack them early, uh, play strong, play good on both sides of the ball, and allow this thing to get out of control. Give yourself some breathing room going, and some, some positive vibes going into the bye week. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm with Jason. I think this is going to be competitive for about two quarters, and then Carolina is going to kind of put the, the pedal down. Uh, I've got North Carolina winning this one. 42-17. Good deal. I, I agree with you guys. I'll, I'll put my score up on Saturday on Inside Carolina Live with Joey Powell at 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock at WCHL 97.9. Interesting fun fact. Georgia State, um, we've talked about they're playing their first P5 opponent ever at home. They're playing back-to-back -back Power 5 opponents for the first time ever. In their South Carolina game, they outgained South Carolina 311 to 306. They outrushed South Carolina 200 to 79. Uh, and of course, South Carolina needed two block punt touchdowns to pull away in that game. I think this game's competitive. I think the offense cannot be complacent. And here's what I want to see I want to see the defense play like they did on the onside kick. <laughs> I could live with that. I mean, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'd play that tape. That tape would run nonstop in the Keenan Football Center. You play like that or you sit over there with me. It's simple. And if they do that, you know, we might be having a very good conversation in a couple of weeks. But Georgia State, Carolina, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Weather could play a role, but I think Carolina pulls away. Greg Barnes, stat of the day or the trivia question. So in the, in the past five years, there have been two Power Five teams that have played on the road at group of five programs in back-to-back -back weeks. Carolina did it last week in Boone, doing it this weekend in Atlanta. Who is the other power five team to have done that? And we can leave that. We can leave that for the uh, listeners. If they want to chime in on the message board with their, their answer. Yeah. Sounds like a Miami thing. No, but there are a lot of ACC schools who have gone on the road against G five teams lately. Mm. Too many. Well, well, so if you're listening right now, put it on the message board. Uh, we might have some swag for you. If you get it right, you come see us in the bowls a lot in a couple of weeks. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, producer John in the background, um, making sure the, the rats stay on the wheel and we get it going. Well, we'll call them hamsters. The hamsters stay on the wheel and keep Greg's internet going. <laughs> It's been the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. It's always a pleasure, guys.